Boom. We're recording. And now we have nothing to say. <laughs> oh, is this how podcasting works? Hey, everybody. Welcome to the Dedicated Nerds Podcast, where we are nerds, like the name says. I'm here with uh, Dave and Carney, and uh, we're going to talk about stuff. Say hi, guys. Hi. Good afternoon, all. Hey. Now, I want to hear more about um, David's wife being sent to the attic to do work. <laughs> yeah, what's what's up with that, Dave? Um, do you have like a little cage up there or what? Well, I don't believe I said the word sent. I said she was in. <laughs> so. <laughs> what's she doing up in the attic, for heaven's sakes? Well, we had the... Uh, we had to shove all the insulation away from the break area uh, to lighten yeah. the weight and then allow for access for fixing, etc. And so the guy showed up on... Here, wait, hold on. Before you get into that, let's, in case, uh, in case our listeners have no idea what we're talking about because they haven't heard any of the other podcasts because we're never going to publish them, uh, you had a little break in your ceiling. <laughs> and uh, look ceiling started falling down on your head didn't it yes yeah about a i think it's probably a eight by 16 foot piece of sheetrock that's acting as our ceiling in the center of it is a piece of ductwork that was installed recently about two years ago and one day we looked up and there was a five foot crack issuing forth from the north and south side of it and then the next morning it fell down even further so we we supported it. So you sent your wife up to the attic to figure out what was going on? <laughs> so we <laughs> supported it to uh, keep it from falling further. And she went up there and moved away insulation so there were, we could see what was going on. And then to jump forward to today, she was up there returning the insulation, you know, because now it's nearly summer in Texas. So insulation is valuable. Uh, I would think so. So what? So what? So somebody had to come over and and fix it. How'd that work out? Well, only time will tell how it really worked out. But you know, they did show up. They put um, a massive number of screws. I wasn't here. I didn't do a count, but dozens of screws <laughs> it, on, from the uh, drywall into the joist. And then they taped over that with, with some magic drywall tape, and they painted it, and then they popcorned it, and and they left. <laughs> Carney, why are you, why are you why do you find this why do you find Dave's pain so amusing? Well, that's a that's a deeper subject that's kind of not 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 really just mine. If uh, <laughs> if no. I know <laughs> you do you do really love pain, Carney. <laughs> it's. And just like that dungeon run, you know, at some point, you know, it, if I drop something on my toe, it's not funny. If I drop the same thing five times in a row on my toe, it kind of starts getting funny. Because that was... Kind of gets to Three Stooges territory at some point, right? Exactly, exactly. I'm a, I'm a big fan of slapstick. And when, you know, when you get to a certain point and all pain is slapstick. <laughs> Yeah, but part of what I'm laughing about this is that I'm just trying to imagine my wife in an attic. 
I'd have to get the paramedics out here to and have them remove part of the roof to get her out because she would sink her closet to the nearest joist and it'd be impossible to remove. She, I, I can't even pick her up, you know, off the ground. If her feet get more than about an inch off the ground, it's panic attack time. <laughs> You know, and I'm just having, to, and then I have this visual of Dave sending his wife up the attic, and she's out there scurrying around, you know, doing stuff. I don't know; it's just hysterical to me. So, are you are you satisfied, Dave, with how the uh, how the uh, professional workmen uh, did their job? Well, uh, given my lack of expertise in the area, you know, I really thought they should remove it and replace it. And that would make it structurally sound. So they didn't do what I wanted. But I don't know anything about it. This guy claims claims to have, you know, he's done it for 11 years. He knows what he's doing. Um, he left his business card. Unless he has a fake fake set that he leaves when he's concerned <laughs> somebody might call him back. But He might. <laughs> yeah, it, it's probably going to be okay. I mean... It only has to last two years, so. I was going to say, I think he's probably did it right, because the thing to remember is that the sheetrock is not load-bearing. It's really, you know, a cosmetic thing. So, I mean, okay, not purely cosmetic, but still, it's not load-bearing. It's not intended. That's why the the ductwork lying on it was a bad thing, because the sheetrock just isn't intended to hold up more than a five-pound picture, if that. So, you know, putting in a bunch of screws is probably stronger than it was before. Oh, in general, I would agree, except that, you know, in the places along the joist where it fell down, all the sheetrock that had been attached through via nails to the joist was in, you know, disarray and now crumbled. So that's it, its structural integrity was questionable to me. But anyway, we'll we'll see. Find out. How long did it last before? Well, the house was built in 82, and I'm not aware of any work that was done to the ceiling. Well, you, but how long has it been since you added that ductwork? Um, July will be three years. Okay. So yeah, you got three years, I'd say. <laughs> Get out quick. Well, that's that's <laughs> what I said. I mean, it, it, we'll see how the market is. But uh, yeah, when we, when we leave the area, I don't think I want to be a long distance landlord. So. Well, let me, put in just to, so I think we've had this discussion before Dave but I'm a long distance landlord and it's no problem you know the the key is to find a reputable you know real estate that does manages rental properties for you and that'll work just fine if if you're not the worrying type well I probably am a little bit that and then they're taking a cut and my plan is to roll the equity into of this into what I build next. So oh, okay. It's if I'm gonna have, be a landlord, I'll you know, buy some property down the street from where I live. It has to be far enough so that they can't walk over and knock, but <laughs> you know though, is that you you're talking about the cut. Is that from my point of view, I think that the real estate company that's managing my property in Pensacola is probably saving me money because they have contractors, you know, on tap that take care of the repainting and the stuff that needs to be done. I don't have to go looking for somebody all the time or trying to do it myself. You know, 
they take care of all kinds of little problems that would amount to a big chunk of my time and probably cost me more money than they're taking to do it yeah. just because they're professionals and know what the hell they're doing. Well, ultimately, doesn't it come down to if you had that money and put it in the stock market or something else, are you getting a better return than that? I mean, is, doesn't, isn't that ultimately the decision you got to make? Yeah, you got to make that decision, but you've also got to be able to see the future to be sure that your decision is correct. Right, right. I mean, clearly nobody can. Yeah, we've got retirement accounts that are, you know, in the financial market. And since we moved out of that property, we've been, you know, well, first we let my mother-in-law live in it, and then we started renting it out. And it's an ideal rental property. So it's actually worked out pretty well for us. So I, I don't feel any need. I mean, it ultimately just ends up diversifying your portfolio. So you've got you've got some in your retirement account that's exposed to the stock market, but then you've also got some Pensacola real estate. Exactly. You know, exposure. And who knows? No, I mean, I don't know. I'm certainly not smart enough to know whether the stock market's going to go up or down in the next week or two, but hopefully it goes up over the next five, 10 years. But who knows whether the real estate market's going to go up more or less than the stock market. It's good to be no. diversified. That's pretty much my, my point of view. And the thing to remember is, is that, I mean, if you're looking at this as a pure financial turn, you get a cash flow out of it. Mm. And the cash flow, you know, amounts to compounding interest if you then reinvest it. Right, right. Sure. Yeah, and just like just like a 401k or a money market fund or something like that would also do the same thing if you set it up that way. Mm-hmm, exactly. All right, how was your week, Carney? Anything exciting happen? Well, we've got a sick cat, which I'm worrying about, but that's about about it. <laughs> All right. So, how many for the for our for our listener, how many cats do you guys have? 6. 6? Oh my god. That's amazing. Yeah, I know. Crazy cat people. Yeah. That seems like a lot. I don't even think we can have I think our city limits us to 3 animals of no. any sort. As far as I know, there's no such limit, and I don't think there is. I think my neighbors agree with it because there's at least one of my neighbors that's walking what looks like a sled team every morning. Well, and I think cats have a little bit lower impact than like dogs would have on on neighbors. Oh yeah, yeah. But um, yeah, we've we've got well, let's see, two ferals that. We adopted because they were injured or sick on our deck or something. We've got um, two kittens that <clears throat> their their feral mother dragged them into our garage, and well, she was too sick to make it. So we kept two of the kittens, and we gave two of the kittens to a friend of mine. And we've got two more kittens that we've accepted from other friends from rescues, basically. So wow, you know we. We have we're, we're sort of like a animal shelter. <laughs> I'm just trying to picture the fa- the facilities that you need for for six cats. What what's the physical? I mean, obviously they own the whole house at this point, right? I mean, there's not like <laughs> right, three right. zones, right? I wish, there but was I mean, we've got we've got one cat, and it's got you know it's got the water thing. You got some food and water there, and you got a little area where she likes yeah. to go poop and all that stuff. But I mean, you must have like a whole side of well, your basement a, set up for that no we have we have an extra bedroom bedroom bathroom that's surplus to our well, you know, we use the master bedroom bathroom and there's we have a half bath downstairs and then we've got another bathroom upstairs that well 
we, we use it for cats. It would oh, otherwise yeah. be a storage area. That's cool. So they have their own bathroom, and, you know, it works out. It's really – six cats is not six times the trouble of one cat. Six cats is, you know, maybe twice as much trouble as one cat. Oh, that's not bad, then. <laughs> go, go ahead, Dave. What, 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 are you, what, are you, what are you grunting about over there in Texas? Well, you don't like cats, Dave. I don't have the experience, but that seems like it would not just be twice. Well, cats are, are distinctly different from dogs in that if you have two dogs, you have twice the attention you need to invest in them if you're a good dog owner. With two cats, unless they're, they don't get along, and our cats are all very sociable with each other, two cats immediately become each other's cuddle partners, and they don't really need you anymore. <laughs> How do they how do they pair up or do they, they pair up? They have groups or packs or um, how does that all work? How's it, it social? It really seems that we have two black cats who like to cuddle, but then the two black cats split up and the males will hang out. We have three males and three females, and the males will hang out and the females will hang out, and then the young ones will hang out and the old ones will, you know, go find some place away from the kittens. It's it's Oh, that's nice then. So they're not yeah, it's just not like, a, Clicky yeah, it's not. I've known people that who've owned, you know, had like two cats, and one cat was upstairs and one cat was downstairs, and you know, all they did was hiss at each other. But no, ours get along great. They play and cuddle and groom each other. So yeah, oh, that's cool. So what do you guys get from from? I mean, I know what I get from my pet, but what do you get from having six as opposed to just one or two? Well, right now I have a cat in my lap, and whenever I want a cat, I seem to have a cat. <laughs> You know, mm-hmm. that that seems to be it pretty much. I mean, besides the obvious, I mean, I get a lot of satisfaction out of knowing that, for instance, Shadow, who's the one who's sick right now, you know, he came up on our deck. He had an injured paw. He could barely walk. You know, so he was being he was being harassed by another cat in the neighborhood, one of our neighbor's cats. And, you know, he, he wasn't going to make it, basically. We, we trapped him in a, you know, animal trap. And he, he took he took some vet time before he was okay again. But now, you know, he's coming up on nine years old and doing pretty well. So other than the fact he's got uh, some kind of cold. <laughs> yeah. So how, how often do you, how often do you have to take, I mean, I should know this since I have a cat, but how often do you have taken the vet yeah. and have an actual professional or do you guys kind of have oh, no, experience no, no, now no. where you don't absolutely to go to a vet but the young ones are on a once a year um our oldest two are on an every six months schedule okay so there's some accounting and uh keeping <laughs> yes. track of shots and i'm assuming they've all been oh definitely yes, and all yes. That. we're yeah. not breeders yeah. I have no use for purebred yeah. cats to begin with. <laughs> right. So, on to the next subject, I think. <laughs> on to our next subject, follow-up. We have got a little bit more follow-up for uh, things that you, audience, have never heard before. Uh, we talked about pinball, uh, which I think we all grew up playing pinball as a kid. And um, I saw this article uh, as well. That uh, that uh, Carney, I think you mm-hmm. put this in here. Go ahead and tell me what, what that's from Ars Technica. It's uh, a game, I believe it was Steam or Good Old Games. I can't remember which, 
But anyway, they've got a pinball emulator that you could buy, you know, various pinball skins for for the one we were talking about last week. Eight Ball Deluxe is on the list, which is why it popped up at my head. I know, I saw that. And their sale is going to end where the rights to be able to present this was going away. So I threw it up for a discussion that there's this emulator that's got all these cool old games, but, you know, if we want to get them, I don't think I'm going to, but... That's another discussion, but no. you know, it had all the the list of the games that we were discussing, and I said, "Oh, okay, well, this is worth throwing out there for the podcast." Yeah, totally, and it's that's actually available. It is, I think, it is on Steam, but it's also available on the consoles. I have it for my my ah, Xbox, yeah. and uh, <clears throat> yeah, it's actually really fun. So, I mean, if you guys, yeah, what I want is a real you got, uh, pinball machine. Get... If we ever finish our basement. <laughs> Those are so cool. I would love one of those, too. I don't have enough space in my house right now, for one. But, uh, yeah, I I think you have to become kind of a, a nerd about pinball machines if you own one of those, because apparently there are a lot of, a lot of maintenance. See, I've got an edge here, because my first job, senior year of high school, was I was one of the attendants at Aladdin's Castle, if you remember that chain. Oh, yeah. And I got to do all changing the various solenoids and accutators and oh yeah, I got I got to do that. <laughs> so I, I know how to do it. What so what's it what's involved I want to know what's involved then. So you've got you got bumpers you gotta change right if they get worn. The the main thing though is the 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 solenoids. That's the word I was trying to remember. Um, the, the the things that actually activate the the various mechanical movements mm-hmm. will burn out, and you have to replace them. The things that like when you hit the bumper, it shoots it back out. Yes, and I'm assuming it just gets grungy, and you got to clean it. And oh boy, does it! <laughs> but but yeah, that that's that's not really the kind of maintenance I'm thinking about. That's more like housekeeping. <laughs> How 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 bad do you want it to get before you feel like cleaning? You know, is the fact that the lint is deflecting the ball a problem? If not, well, you don't need to clean it. It's fine. So it's kind of it's not like the bathroom where it's like it just at some point it just gets so gross you have to clean it. Well, then it sounds like there's a story in there, and just no, I yes, maybe maybe I don't like cleaning my bathroom. <laughs> maybe my wife gets on my case every now and then. And then once in a while, she'll go in with her full hazmat suit and say, all right, I'm fucking cleaning this shit up. <laughs> Don't get in my way. Um, the thing that I saw, though, that I posted, too, was the um, SpaceX managed to have a successful launch yeah. of their Block 5 rocket. And that's huge right there. Yeah. All right. So I'm not I'm not as up on the space stuff as you are. So tell us what's the significance of the black okay block falcon 9 is um spacex's workhorse and it's gone through various models and iterations block 5 is the last major upgrade of this particular rocket supposedly the last and all the modifications have been directed towards increasing reliability and reducing maintenance required for turnaround story i was reading was saying that they're planning on being able to get 10 launches in a row out of a Block 5 rocket without major refurbishment, which would be huge because their current fuel cost per launch is only about half a million. And adding up the fixed cost on stuff, they can actually relaunch a used rocket for under $5 million of their cost. And they're planning on 
until some competition comes along, they're planning on selling them for fifty million. So that's wow. Yeah, well, they're still the cheapest thing around. So what is like a disposable, the old-fashioned disposable rockets? What do they, what do they cost to launch compared to that ten five million? Well, now with the, the with the competition, I think the Atlas Five is around two and a half. Oh, no, I mean two hundred and fifty million, and I think the Delta Heavy runs up into the. Uh, not even the Delta Heavy, just the plain Delta runs up into 300, 320 million. Oh, wow. So they're like more than an order of magnitude cheaper. Well, on on, on their theoretical cost, yes, if they get to a point where they can reuse 10 in a row. That's that's still to be proven. But they're, they're even even a expendable launch from SpaceX is still two or three times cheaper than the next cheapest alternative you got to remember that the spacex rocket is actually the heaviest lifter out there Mm -hmm. so it's not like it's some scrawny little rocket that's competing with the big boys it is the big boy and the cheapest as well wow that's 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 interesting no i I didn't realize it was quite that dramatic a difference in cost i mean i can that's going to really open up space to a lot of people that had it wasn't possible to go before or have your own satellites or whatever right Oh yeah, that that's definitely definitely true, and it's going to become more so. And in a way, it's going to be a pain because it, it's cheap enough now that you could literally fill the sky with satellites to the point where it becomes a hazard to further launches. But the um, I'm want to I'm trying to remember. I was reading an analysis of the cost per pound, but it's somewhere theoretically could get down as low as two hundred fifty dollars a pound for launch, which is wow. Which is very low, which is very, I'd, very low. I'd send up a pound of butter. <laughs> <laughs> you know, just for fun. <laughs> I, you know, I have some clients over at Land Lakes. So that'd be a good little publicity stunt for them. <laughs> there you go. Hey, I mean. We're launching butter into space. <laughs> talk to Elon Musk. He might even say that, you know, he might even do it for free. <laughs> he might. Well, Rocket Man needs some butter. I mean, do you have a bakery as a customer too? <laughs> you could set up a loaf of bread. <laughs> oh no, that'd be good. Oh, I love it. Yeah, send them a loaf of bread and a pound of butter, and there you go. Yeah. Anyway, the whole thing about the SpaceX thing is that they're really hyping the reliability because the what they want to do is they want to be able to launch a rocket, recover the first and second stage in the fairing, just glue the whole thing back together, fuel it back up, and launch it right back from the same pad where it landed at. And if they can do that with you know minimum problems, that frees up a lot of their resources to work on their next-gen rocket, the um, BFR. The BFR. Which they, yes, which they say is the big Falcon rocket, but I'm sure everyone yeah. else got something else. Yes. <laughs> Yes, I would hope so. And that's the one I'm really looking forward to because I was lucky enough to witness a, a shuttle launch at night. And I, I would like to see the BFR because that, uh, as it stands now on paper, would be the biggest rocket that humans have ever launched. And that would be something to see take off. Well, it's really nice to see somebody actually being successful in space because it seems like as you know, as American kids, we were all like, oh, this is, I mean, I know I, in the seventies, I was definitely very gung ho about space. And I remember doing a, a project in like fourth grade or fifth grade about Skylab and how awesome that was. And we're going to have colonies on the moon soon, but it's you know, obviously a kind of Reagan eighties just kind of wiped all that shit out. And 
and you know there wasn't i don't think there was quite the satellite industry back then right so there maybe wasn't there wasn't a way to really capitalize you know capitalize on on that technology so it's nice to it's nice to see it all kind of happening again yeah well there's a feedback loop and i think elon musk managed to break into to to where it started up because the whole thing is, is that as spaceflight gets cheaper there's more applications for it, which makes the spaceflight get cheaper. But that wasn't going to happen as long as all the spaceflight was coming from the military-industrial complex because, you know, right. they charged what they charged. And if they got to launch two extra rockets, they didn't bring down their price by 10%. They just, right. you know, booked another two rockets because their real customer was the government who didn't care how cheap it was. Well, I would think, too, once these become kind of regular things – I think people are going to start thinking it's like, oh, maybe I can launch some butter into space or what yeah. something actually something maybe actually more economically viable. But they might just have ideas. It's like, OK, if you're at two hundred fifty dollars a pound, suddenly you can do stuff, a lot of there. stuff. Yeah. And that may and that may give people ideas, too, if they see other people doing stuff and then they can kind of start building, standing on the shoulders of giants and just kind of keep moving forward and forward. Yeah, as opposed to the I mean. Here's where I bad talk Bezos and um, Richard Branson. But what Elon Musk is doing can do the kind of stuff you're talking about. The other end of the spectrum is the space tourist developers. You know, they're basically taking an Estes rocket, scaling it up, firing it straight up in the air and saying, look, I reached space. I'm awesome. Yeah. Although, to be fair, I would totally do that. Oh, well, sure. But, you know, I think if you had billions of dollars try to build on what musk is doing instead of trying to reinvent the wheel and coming up with a crappy imitation of what he's doing yeah so what is um so you said bezos is one and then richard branson he's the guy who owns virgin like virgin airlines and stuff like that yeah he? the virgin space or virgin galactic or <laughs> okay oh yeah no virgin galactic i think that is the name i've heard that before so his his idea is to just basically build like a 747 that you can shoot into space and everybody can then they can just say, hey, I was in space. Pretty much 65 miles straight up, 65 miles straight down. Woo. Did they did they was there? Did they have that like back in the 20s or whatever when people were just like, hey, I've flown in an airplane. So they just had like short little flights. I wonder if there was like a tourist. Oh, there definitely was. Barnstormers would take people up for five or ten bucks for, you know, five or ten minute flight. So there's definitely that. But, you know, the difference is the barnstormers were flying real airplanes. They weren't, you know, they didn't have a model airplane that they strapped to somebody's back and launched them in the air <laughs> with a catapult. Which is what I feel like this is a space tour. Because it's not a real spaceship is the it's thing, not, you know? It's not the same. If you get launched into space with a troubleshe, you are not actually... An astronaut. No, yes, you're not an astronaut. <laughs> right. You know, and a, a lot of people just don't seem to get that, is that the, the getting up 65 miles is not the hard part. The Germans manage that with a V2. You know, it's the you know, getting back down is significantly harder. Getting into orbit is like orders of magnitude harder. And then landing from orbit is like orders of magnitude harder than that again. Yeah. And you, you don't want to land on a, something really hard because that hurts. <laughs> <laughs> yes, mom. Did you wear your seatbelt? <laughs> Dave, do you have anything to add on the uh, on the rocket uh, conversation here? Are you excited about this at all? It looks interesting, but out of my price range. But 
Yeah, the only thing that comes to mind is that if they're going to ever use the device 10 times before overhauls, I'm not planning to write on it on trip 8, 9, or 10. Yeah, you definitely want to have like a good track record going. Exactly. Yeah, but the first 10, first flight 10 is probably going to be, you know, launching a wheel of cheese to Mars or something. Sure. <laughs> or maybe you get the discounted price. Yeah, well, the thing is, is that it, the, here's the, here's the key point about though, and then Dave makes a good point, is that the rocket is cheap enough now that you can afford to just launch it to build up that reliability and the, the you know maintenance log that gives you an idea of what you need to look for. Is up till now, rockets were single use, and you didn't have any way of you know wringing them out pretty much. You know, you the the problems the Russians had with their proton rocket, you know, launch five, six, seven of them that blow up, then get a couple that work, and then every other one blows up before they give up on it. Right. You know, every time they were launching one, they were pumping five hundred million dollars down the drain. With the uh, with the Falcon Nine now, okay, you know, it's it's more doable. It's more like an airplane where you're doing an airworthiness certificate than it is like you're setting fire to the Federal Reserve. Yeah, and it's also it also gives you or it also you're not dependent on the federal government or politicians or the budgets in Washington. It's like, no, we're a business here. We've figured out that we're going to need to keep doing this. This is all budgeted and we're making money as we go. But it seems like, it seems like a much more sustainable model than yeah. depending on politicians to, you know, cause I mean, they talked about going to the, I mean, the first George Bush talked about going to the moon you know, back in the early nineties and we all, we weren't there yet, but, uh, although we certainly could have been, but yeah, if you were willing to spend enough money and I think we should have then, but now, you know, if you, if, right, as, right now with a at $50 million a launch for the SpaceX, you can easily get 10 tons into a lunar return orbit. Now, what does that mean? It means that for the price of a Saturn V, you could put three times as much on the moon, granted in pieces right now, but mm -hmm. three times as much for the given price, just assuming you expended the, the Falcons right. without any reuse in it at all. So th that makes it a lot more feasible. And with the reuse, the price comes down more. And with this new rocket, it's supposedly going to be planned so that it will be able, to, with refueling in space, to put 150 tons on the moon. And that's huge. Yeah. Wow. That is amazing. So at, at, are these, I, I'm, I'm going to just admit that I'm not as, you know, you obviously clearly have a lot more detailed knowledge about this, Carney. But so if you're going to say you take a Falcon 9 and you launch it to the moon, how much, how much could you get in a Falcon 9 landing on the moon? I mean, where, well, do you land or do you, there's no atmosphere, so you can't parachute in, but uh, yeah. That makes some things easier and some things harder. Mm -hmm. um, Mars has got the worst of both worlds. It's got enough atmosphere to be a pain and not enough atmosphere to do you any good. Yeah. Um, I'm not sure how to answer the question. If you're using a, uh, talking to standard, uh, I've actually forgotten what the lift capacity of the standard Falcon is. I, I got displaced by the Falcon heavy information. <laughs> I mean, does it, does it have stages where, you know, like a, like the Saturn V is the only thing I've ever seen go to the moon, right? I mean, where you basically... You, yeah, it's a two-stage design. Yeah, so you, you kind of basically have this little tip of the rocket that's the only thing that's going to end up orbiting the moon. And then even that gets like split in half and you've got the little lunar module that can go down to, 
to the ground. Well, you wouldn't work it quite that way if you were, I don't think. But let's just, using that for an example, um, the Falcon I'm showing here, the standard Falcon, not the Falcon 5, has got a low Earth orbit of 23 tons. Uh, geosynchronous transfer is 8 tons. Uh, um, and then they have payload to Mars here, which would be 4,000 kilos or four tons but um i would expect that <clears throat> lunar would be somewhere between the geosynchronous transfer and the mars payload so call it six tons mm -hmm. into lunar transfer and then you know probably half of that would be spaceship and lander so say you could get three tons on the moon which sounds mm -hmm. like pitiful until you remember that the uh, the 100 plus tons that the Saturn V la launched only put a few tons on the moon itself. Right, right. And then I suppose if you're building something on the moon, maybe you can figure out a way to use the rocket parts that are left over. Yeah. The Falcon isn't really the the, the vehicle to moon, right. though. The, the next one is, because that one will be able to put significant chunks of equipment on the, you know, the Falcon right now could put. Okay, so if you can get so if you can get six tons on a if you can get six tons on a on a Falcon, then what's the BFR going to be able to to tra to trans? It's supposed to be able to land 150 tons. Oh my God, that's insane! Yeah, so that's that's well, it's an insane rocket. It's it's yeah. half again as the size of a Saturn V, but with all the technology of the falcon 9 you know it's not the, the the saturn 5 was basically a v2 that had been fed steroids for 10 right. years and you know <laughs> had all the smartest people in the world keeping it together it was it was just brute force is what it was i mean it was a glorious piece of engineering but it was brute force the falcon 9 is doing something that couldn't be done back then it's, it's pretty much getting into orbit on a single stage Right. And the rule of thumb is, is to get up to the exhaust speed of your propellant, you need to have twice as much fuel as the weight of your rocket. To get up to twice the speed of your propellant, you need seven times. And to get wow. three times as much, you need 20 times. And to get into orbit with standard fuels, you need about 20 times your rocket weight, which is why you have staging, because cha staging changes all that. Well... The, the the Falcon rocket is so light and made out of such advanced materials now that it can do that seven to one ratio without any problem at all and can get even higher than that. I think it's something like right now it's takeoff is like 15 to one or something. Wow. You know, which gives you an idea of what the difference is. Well, now hold it. A quick question on that. The, well, so is that something you can put up? A person can survive then. I, you know, maximum G force might come into play if you can. No, no, G maximum G force would come into play, but it's it's actually not very much on launch because here here's the trade off: is that the rocket experiences the G forces too, and since you want the rocket structure to be as light as possible, because every pound of you shave off the rocket saves you like seven pounds on your that you can put into orbit, is that. So the rockets themselves are not designed to pull more than, you know, I think the maximum G a Saturn V pulled was in the four range, I think, on launch. And I think a, a Falcon actually takes a lot less than that. So the, the structure of the rocket is not designed to take that super heavy okay. crushing G-force. All right. I was kind of assuming that it was going to 
get to a higher speed faster to to achieve that goal, which may more G's, but it, it just it burns over a longer period of time. Yeah. And what you're saying is all things else being equal, burning faster earlier, or at least once you get above the, the heavy atmosphere, would make sense. But then you have the structural payoffs. payoffs. Structural – okay, I lost the word. Trade-offs <laughs> that come into play that mean that you have a much more gentle profile. You go straight up for a few miles to get above the atmosphere, and then you go sideways to build up speed for orbit. So is there, so there so there obviously they've developed a lot of new materials to make the rocket out of to make it a lot lighter, but also the engines are a lot more efficient now, right? Well, yes, the 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 improvements in the engine have been huge in engineering terms, but in terms of what you and I would look at, um, if I remember my numbers right, I think the Falcon rocket motors are about ten percent more efficient than the um, Saturn V rockets, which is a huge gain considering, but it's, yeah. It's not like the, it's not like a computer chip that gets faster every two years. It's just, it's more like. Yeah, it's very mature technology. The science is very well understood. The engineering, they keep tinkering with it, getting a little better, a little better material, a little better heat transfer, a little better nozzle design, you know, a little better pumps. You know, the, the, uh, the Falcon I think when it was burning kerosene and oxygen was getting about 330 um, specific impulse of around 330. Um, if I remember right, the Saturn V launch stage was getting with the, about the same fuel mixture was getting about 290 specific impulse. So you're, you're talking about a little over 10% increase. Yeah. Which is dramatic, but like you said, not, not world changing. It's the, it's really the, that sounds like the biggest gains are, are from just the material science end of things. Yes, very much so. Is that the rocket motor may only be ten percent more powerful, but it's also probably half the weight, and that's that's where the real savings go. So, what what were the the old rockets made out of versus what are they made out of now? What's the big What's the big dramatic uh, uh, breakthrough that happened? Lithium aluminum alloys versus uh, aluminum and titanium. Really? Okay. Hmm. Yeah, because the lithium. And beryllium, for that matter, I believe, is gets used in the Falcon too. Is, is lithium is lighter than water? Aluminum's like twice as heavy as water. Titanium's like four times as heavy as water, and steel runs like six or seven times as heavy as water. I mean, to give you an idea of the comparative densities of it, but lithium is much lighter than aluminum, and they've got some alloys that are as strong as you know your aviation aluminum and that that makes a huge difference same deal for carbon fiber carbon fiber is in that range too yeah we've been i've been hearing about carbon fiber technology forever it seems like and uh that's it seems like that's always just around the corner for consumer products but have yet to see anything is i mean is carbon fiber actually used in anything that we would be familiar with well i know it's used in the the extensively in the Falcon rockets, but sure, you and sure. I, no, probably not. <laughs> it's not like our iPhones are made out of carbon fiber or whatever. Car parts, I think. I do think some cars have carbon fiber. You know, what used to be fiberglass is now carbon mm-hmm. fiber, but mm-hmm. I'm not sure about that. <laughs> yeah. Cool. Well, that's exciting. That's um, looking forward to uh, to seeing what. I mean, the next five ten years in rock in. Uh, space 
is going to be pretty exciting. It sounds like. Yeah. And it all comes down to whether they can build the build the BFR, because if they can build that, then you've got a world-class heavy lifter. They can put construction stuff as opposed to satellites missions, you know, you know, doing a little bit at a, at a time, the BFR will allow you to take a, you know, to actually say, okay, we want to build something here. Let's put all the equipment we need into space. Right. A dump truck. <laughs> yeah. So, but, but from all accounts that I've heard, I'm not, not an expert myself. It sounds like they're on track and, and they're the Falcon heavy that they launched what four or five months ago, three or four months ago. Yeah, yeah. Really kind of put them on that a lot of a lot of that was testing ideas for the BFR, right? Yes and no. I mean t- testing technologies, yes, but not the BFR is going to be its own rocket, so they're starting the the tooling up on that. But in the sense of proving that you could put a big you could launch a big rocket with a lot of motors. See, that's one of the things that the that the existing aerospace has said couldn't be done is they're saying the 27 rocket motors of the falcon heavy was a step too far and the reason for that is because the russians before the age of computers and quite frankly when their structures were falling apart tried to build a super heavy lifter that had like 30 rocket engines all running simultaneously and then things just blew up on the pad time after time because they couldn't coordinate that many different rockets at the same time and um SpaceX just made it look effortless. Yeah. Which is and keep that, in mind the Falcon Heavy is the third heaviest rocket heaviest by payload capacity, the third heaviest ever built. So we're on the cutting edge. It's exciting. <laughs> we <laughs> we All right. That was an awesome discussion. Um Excellent. Welcome back. We had a little uh problem. I think it was was mostly due to uh, Carney still being connected to AOL. I think that's where he's getting his internet from now. So, hey, hopefully. I'm not the one who disconnected. Hey, I mean, we love we. Lo- oh well, I uh, see. Disconnection is in the eye of the beholder. I think, um, from my perspective, you guys both disconnected at exactly the same moment. So. Mm, wonder how that works. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I didn't know you were stealing well, internet from me, Dave. It explains a lot about my connection. <laughs> All right. Well, thanks for, I think that was a great conversation. Thank you. Uh, thank you guys. Uh, it was a lot of fun and I uh, hope you guys at home or uh, exercising or in your kitchen, whatever you're doing, hope you guys liked uh, hearing us talk about it. Um, you can, uh, as always follow us at uh, dedicatednerds.something. And uh, that's actually not true <laughs> at all. <laughs> this is a problem with making this shit up as we go instead of like actually having something written in front of me to read from. <laughs> anyway, it was a lot of fun. Thanks, Dave. Thanks, Carney. We'll uh, talk all to right, you soon. All right. Thanks, all. <laughs> Bye. <sighs>